It is L.A. Lloyd, and today is the third time for Kevin Martin from Candlebox to co-host the show. First of all, man, welcome back. Thank you, my friend. It's good to chat with you. Well, I got to tell you, we were kind of joking a little bit before we came off the air today. Everyone's kind of in their comfort zone here. We get to uh, go into each other's homes, and uh, Kevin, I I told him that he kind of looked like he did the first time I met him. He's got the long hair again, man, so I feel like it's the 90s all over again. Yeah, this is a much better haircut, though, I think, than it was when I was... uh... When I was younger, I don't know. No, uh, it's a lot, a lot of gray in it and everything. But yeah, it's crazy, man. It's um, I can't believe thirty years now that uh, I mean, come this January, Candlebox will be a, a band for thirty years. It's wild. It is wild. And you know, the last time we had you on the show was back in two thousand sixteen, and at the time, uh, we actually did that interview utilizing Skype. So. Of course, now the magic word that everyone's using during the pandemic is Zoom. So I guess uh, we were kind of ahead of our time, man, uh, kind of jumping on the virtual thing early. Yeah, well, that's, you know, I mean, uh, that was one of the best ways to actually do interviews. I love doing the Skype interviews. They were super easy. But um, I mean, it's amazing now how much uh, how much faster Zoom is and how much easier it is to actually get connected to these things. And the video. I mean, it's, you know, like I said, Skype, it was a lot of, you know, really bumps and latency. This is like super clean, man. I mean, it's like, and they're using it on CNN and every news outlet that's out there, you know. But we were ahead of the game. You're absolutely right. Yeah. Well, let's go back to uh, the beginning of COVID-19 before we launch into everything today. I mean, where were you guys at, you and the rest of the band, uh, as everything started to uh, shut down and the tour started ending? Well, we had just come back from Florida. Um, We had done a run through the Midwest. We did four shows one in Arkansas, a Tulsa, two in Texas, and then four shows in Florida. Um, and we flew home on the 29th of February and, um, we were supposed to do another two weeks of dates at the end of March and that all got shut down. So, um, really it was, you know, um, it was, I think a, a, a big shock to all of us because we had scheduled rehearsal time in Nashville. The record was supposed to be coming out in, um, August actually this past month. Uh, and, um, we were getting ready to go out and, you know, tour on this record and start, um, start playing the songs live. So it was just a, a, a real drastic kind of, um, I don't think I've ever hit the brakes this hard, you know, um, even when, you know, back in the nineties, um, when we had started the Lucy tour and, um, and things weren't really going the way we had planned. And we ended up firing our agent and our manager in the middle of a tour because they wanted us to go out and do arenas. And we just wanted to continue the kind of theater thing. Even that was like a slow halt. This was just a, um, hit the brakes, you know, toss a dime out and see if you can stop on it sort of thing. So it was, it was really strange for me. I've not been home longer than four months in, I can't tell you how many years. <laughs> Where is home now? Los Angeles. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, well, I know you've been working on the new album. We'll talk a little bit about that. Uh, I believe it's still untitled as of today. No, no, we have a title. Okay. Now, let me talk about, before we get into the title and everything, is it, uh, is it, you know, difficult releasing an album when the future is so uncertain? Because, I mean, we still don't know when you can go back on the road. I mean, so when you, there's a lot of planning that goes into putting an album out. I mean, how difficult is it for you guys to even, you know, try to figure this out to put a new album out? Well, we, conversations with management and the label and stuff is really the, you know, the, the best way to kind of figure out what you're supposed to be doing. Um, we decided, you know, to, to hold off until next year. Um, we're the type of band that, you know, we always kind of have to go out on the road to support a record. You know, we don't get the instant, you know, 20, 30,000 units sold in the first week. Um, you know, it's uh, in this day and age. I mean, I saw all the promotion that Cedar's been putting into new, their new record. Right. 
Um, I don't know how many units it moved, but I mean, it was an enormous amount of, uh, of um, promotion to, to try and, you know, get people to pay attention to a record. I just, I just, just got discussed it with Amy saying, I, I really don't want to, I think people have other things to think about. If we do anything, let's release a song to just keep, you know, keep people's attention and let them know that there is a record right. um, and that it will be out eventually. But, um, you know, it really, it, it came down to a lot of conversation and with our agent as well, you know, um, we're with Jeffrey Hassan at, um, at Paradigm out of Nashville. And, you know, it, it, it really takes a lot of um, collaboration to, to make sure that you're doing the right thing when you want to put a record out. And I, have always felt that um, management and agents are just as important as labels. Um, so, um, you know, all three of us discussing it, um, the decision was made that we'll hold off until next year, That's, which, you know, nobody wants to do. We want the record out. It's been done since January. So, wow. um, but, you know, um, I also want people to be healthy and I want to see the, you know, I've already lost three friends to COVID this year, which is wow. crazy to me. Um, yeah, it's, um, it's just wild, you know, uh, and I don't, I don't want to lose any more. That's a good way of planning it, man. Well, you know, I've seen the band so many times live, um, you know, and I, I guess the special year for me was 1998, where I met my wife at one of your shows. And I'm sure that, uh, you know, anytime we hear a Candlebox song, it, it always kind of takes us back to that night, man. But I'm sure you've heard these stories a gazillion times with, uh, you know, the way the songs have touched fans' lives and just were maybe milestones uh, for them, you know, anytime they hear that song. Yeah, it's pretty special, man. I, I, you know, I, I hear it um, uh, daily, you know, um, and uh, I think that when Candlebox started, none of us really knew what we were doing. I, you know, we, we wrote a record that, you know, I, that just somehow continues to, to reach people 30 years later. I mean, it's, uh, it's crazy to me that, um, that these four knuckleheads that didn't know one another put this record out that um, still pays my rent. It's just, uh, it's just unbelievable to me, and and to hear the stories and and to to make the connections with the fans that have continued to support the band um, right now, you know, going on 27 years after that first record came out, you know, it's a really amazing thing. I pinch myself every day. I don't take it for granted. I have never looked a gift horse in the mouth, and um, this is one of the greatest gifts that's been ever been given to me. So, um, I love hearing those stories. I, I just had somebody. Um, write to me that is just celebrating 20 years of sobriety um, and, and they've used our, our first record and every record since as the one thing that has kept them focused. And um, that's a huge accomplishment. You know, it's, it's, it's no small feat to go for me to go a night without a glass of whiskey. I can't imagine going 20 years without one. So, um, (laughs) so, you know, that makes you as an artist, um, you know, you feel pretty, pretty special. For sure. Well, the last time you were here uh, four years ago, you had mentioned how your album at the time, Disappearing in Airports, which hadn't even come out when we spoke, was about growth and pushing the band in the direction of a new audience. So, I mean, do you feel like you accomplished your goals with that direction of your music on that particular album? I think we did. I think we did pretty well. Um, you know, I, I some mistakes were made, I think, in the marketing of the album um, and, the, and the single choices. But, you know, when you're an independent artist with an independent label, um, with not a traditional record deal um you're kind of limited to what you can and can't do um with with their dollar um and with your own dollar so we did the best we could you know i think we reached a lot of uh of uh new uh fans with that album um 
especially with songs like the bridge and, and only because of you with, which got some uh, cool independent uh, college play. Um, but, you know, uh, I, I wish that we had, I wish we were still signed to a major with a record like that, because, you know, when you've got a $250,000 or a million dollar budget to, to get a record um, out there for people to hear, um, you definitely reach a lot of people when you've got a, you know, $20,000 budget, um, you, you reach who you can. Right. And, um, you know, even with, you know, the social networking, what you're doing now uh, as a band to try and reach that audience, um, it's so limited unless you're spending some real dollars. That is absolutely true. Well, speaking of the social media, I mean, just in the past few months, while everyone's been on lockdown, uh, we've seen numerous bands do these virtual concerts, and it ranges from their living rooms to Metallica just doing a nationwide drive-in concert this past Saturday night. So I think it's good for the bands because it gives them the opportunity to play i think it's good for the fans because they miss their bands but you know everyone's different how do you uh feel like virtual shows work in the Candlebox world well we're talking about doing one um out here in los angeles um either in september or october uh you know we're we're a band that's kind of spread out across the country we've got two musicians that are in um on the east coast one in baltimore and one in philly okay so um with the restrictions on them coming back into town after flying to Los Angeles and having to quarantine for 14 days, we don't, you know, we don't want to put the pressure on them to lock themselves in um, and not be able to, you know, do something when this show's done. So we're kind of waiting until those restrictions are lifted. Um, My plan is to, to bring them out here and, and film this thing, uh, rehearse for a couple of days and then, you know, stream a live concert. Um, you know, it's really just a matter of, of whether, um, you know, like I said, we, these guys can come out here and play. Um, three of us are in Los Angeles and two of us are on the East Coast. So it makes it difficult. Um, but, you know, we'll figure something out. I think they're pretty cool. I've watched several of them. Um, I know that my guitar player, Brian, does a virtual um, live from the office that he does every Thursday from his recording studio at his house, which is really cool. He's got his buddy Dan that comes over. Um, I've watched several of the Instagram live concerts. I think they're pretty cool. I'm not savvy enough. And um, my manager um, is kind of waiting for me to, to let her know when I want to do it. Um, so I, I guess, you know, the burden comes or rests on my shoulders to make the decision or to pull the plug, gotcha. if you will. I've just got to, you know, decide at what point I tell these guys, you know, come out here, and and we'll do it. So um, it'll happen. Um, but I do think they're cool. I think that um, it's a great way to keep, you know, I don't know why Metallica's tickets were 300 and some odd dollars, um, you know, for a drive-in concert. Um, I mean, mine's going to be 10 bucks probably, right, you know, I don't know, right. a $10 ticket, um, something like that. But um you know, I, I really don't know. Um, we'll, we'll we'll make it happen. The thing that really amazes me, kind of going back to what we were talking about at the beginning of the show, is how much technology has advanced, you know, and, and there are a lot of bands that are in different locations and how they can sync that up and there's no latency and everyone is still playing, you know, on on time and on the beat. I just look at it utterly amazed. I was like, they have got way more technology savvy than I have, <laughs> that's for sure, because yeah. I don't know how they do it. We tried early on, um, I think it was like April to um, to like rehearse the band we got on a, on a zoom call mm-hmm. and to see if we could figure out late latency issues. And, um, you know, it, it was really, really difficult. And, and, um, I think that what you've got to do is at some point you have to, um, bring in like a T one line, uh, to each location if the band's not in the same room. Right. Uh, cause that's really the only way that, that, you know, and that that's transferring, you know, a gigabyte of data, uh, per millisecond. And that's what you kind of have to do to get rid of that latency. But, you know, we're doing these um, acoustic or we're doing these um, cover songs right now 
which we did for what it's worth by Buffalo Springfield. Um, and we're doing one by U2 under pressure by Queen and Bowie. We're doing Don't Stand So Close to Me by the police. We're doing Ventilator Blues and Shine a Light by the Stones. Uh, don't, uh, driving on empty or running on empty by uh, Jackson Brown. So, but we're having to do them in our own studios individually because we tried recording one together and it just didn't work. Right. So as advanced as we, we, we hope we are, we're, we're still, um, still pretty primitive in that world, I think. Yeah. Um, you know, not only has the music industry changed dramatically since Candlebox first began, but lately, I mean, even the importance of releasing full albums have started to diminish that I've seen. I mean, fans just seem to want this continuous feed of new music, you know, like maybe on a monthly basis instead of getting the total package and you live with that for a year or so and hope they come through your town and you get to see them. So what's your thoughts on the importance of still having the full-length album uh, in this challenging time of releasing music? I don't particularly think it's important, but, um, you know, there's, I would say, you know, 10% or maybe even less than that of, of your audience that really wants a full-length record. Um, like you said, the majority of them just want the songs. Um, I mean... We may end up releasing this, I guess, you know, the the record piecemeal, if you will, like just piece by piece, <laughs> um, just to keep people interested. And then at some point, you can maybe combine the the you know the cover songs that we've done, which we won't charge for, with the full length record in a you know some sort of download capacity. I don't know, um, but yeah, I I I just downloaded the new My Morning Jacket record just because I'm that you know five or ten percent that wants to listen to a you know, full length album. Right. Um, even with Tame Impala, when their last record came out, you know, when they were delivering me, you know, one song and then two songs, I was kind of like, listen, I, I, I get it, you know, but now I really want the full length record because I love what that band does. Um, but you know, I don't, I don't think it's important, um, you know, from the standpoint of a musician, um, I just think as a fan, it's important, you know, that that you get the full record. But I'm, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm that 10% that wants the full album. I agree with you, man. I, I totally do. But, you know, um, it, it's kind of like even binge watching TV. Do you want to sit down? You want to watch the entire series over a weekend? Or do you want to have that anticipation of, uh, you know, a, a standard day and time that it comes on? So I guess I'm just <laughs> old school, man. I like to just wait, you know, it's like I, I yeah. want to build up the anticipation. So, yeah. So I just received a new track from Candle box uh, that will be on the upcoming album uh, it's called let me down easy which was co-written by you and peter cornell which is uh, chris cornell's brothers so have you guys had a long-term relationship or is this something that just kind of developed recently for you guys to collaborate together i've known peter since um since seattle since the 90s oh, wow. um, okay we played shows we played shows with his uh with his other bands you know back in 91 92 um He's always been, you know, an incredible talent, um, but we never really had the time to kind of sit down and chat about music. And uh, and then after his brother died, um, he um, he and I had a chance to really kind of sit down and talk about things. He's married to my manager and um, and, you know, she's, um, you know, a, a huge supporter of, you know, not only Peter's, but she was Chris's manager when he passed as well. Um, so it, it the opportunity to kind of restart our relationship happened then. And, um, and it was great. I mean, it was really, it was just like, we hadn't really been away from one another for, you know, 18, 19 years. Um, we immediately just kind of started talking about the old parties we hung out, the, you know, the musicians, the, the people that we were friends with and, and those co-relationships we had back in Seattle. Um, and it was just like old times. Um, and I just mentioned to him, I said, listen, you know, I'm looking for some 
some of the kind of music that you write that kind of great bluesy uh, swampy rock and roll that I remember you doing back in the nineties. If you got anything, throw it my way. And he's like, well, I may have something I've been kind of kicking around. And then two days later, he sent me this track acoustically and it was everything that I wanted. Um, and it was actually the, it was the kicker for me to start writing the record at that point. So that was last, I think it was May of last year or or maybe April last year that he gave me the track. And we had written, I think from that point on, before we started recording, you know, 12 songs based on the the, the uh, kind of vibe of that track. So it really was um, instrumental in, in inspiring me. And, and and the catalysts were really us kicking off just to starting the recording of the record. Well, um, I watched the lyric video before we did the interview today, and I was kind of scrolling down the comments. And I mean, you know, typically in this world we live in, there's going to be haters no matter what, how great something is. But these were all literally like, you know, unanimously love hearing the grit again. Glad you're back, man. This is this is the candle box I love kind of thing. You know, it's all these, you know, really, I thought kind of uplifting and positive comments. So I, I think that um, the fan reception so far has been really good to this song. Well, yeah, thank, thank you. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I mean, I've, you know, I've, I've had the, you know, the point in my life several times where I've been like, you know, I'm, I'm kind of tired of being a second thought type of a band, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and I think that just comes from, you know, having a smash record back, you know, in 93 and then, you know, releasing uh, seven other albums that people kind of, Oh yeah, I remember that band. Mm -hmm. Um, When Pete sent me this track, I immediately thought to myself, I need to make a record that is everything I want to do and all the things that inspired me and all the musicians and artists that inspired me. And so this record has everything from, you know, from this type of blues, which is, you know, what people loved about Candlebox from the first record, like songs like Rain and Arrow to a song that, you know, was inspired by um, my love for Motorhead. And then there's, you know, a song that on this record that was inspired by um, my love for our uh, uh, Radiohead and, and, but it's still gritty. It's still raw. And, and when I, I didn't do the lyrics right away because I wanted to engulf myself in these tracks. So the record was recorded in August um, and I didn't do the vocals until January. Um, so uh, of this year. Oh, wow. Okay. It was really for me, I wanted to make sure I took the time to to dig into the, the person that I am and the, the person that I want to be to write the lyrics that I want people to to know I'm, I'm feeling about these tracks. So um, I, I was happy to read some of those comments. I, I try to, to stay away from that as often as possible, but um, it doesn't always happen. You know, right. I, I kind of find myself going in there and reading these comments and you can have a thousand great ones and it's the one person that says you suck that you, you know, you want to kind of hit you in the gut. <laughs> yeah, you know, it does. It really does. So I'm, I'm grateful that the, the people are really enjoying this, especially like even on Blabbermouth, which is a really one of those pages that, you know, we always kind of get beat up on and, and the response has been amazing uh, there as well. So, I mean, maybe we've, uh, maybe we've got lightning in a bottle with this record in this song. I, I don't really know. It would be nice. Well, I had no idea about the closeness of uh, Peter and his wife being your manager and being Chris's manager. So I had no idea that circle was so tight there. Um, do you ever get back to Seattle much now or visit old friends up there? Or you pretty much, I mean, obviously you can't travel during COVID, but I mean, recently in the last couple of years or so, do you get back to Seattle much? I do. I, I, my family's still up there. And oh, actually, okay. I, just, I just went up there a couple of weeks ago. Um, my mom, uh, is about to turn 80 and she's not really mobile and she lives with my brother and he was going camping and you know didn't want to leave her at home alone for a week and i was like i i haven't seen mom since last thanksgiving so i need to come up so i went up there and spent a week with her and 
we had a great time. Uh, it was really, it was not, the weather was beautiful and it was the city that I remember um, when you, when you have that sunshine, um, you know, you always go there in the winter and it's raining and you're like, oh yeah, I remember this. But <laughs> when you do get that sunshine up there, it's absolutely beautiful. And that's why people live there. I went there last year for my first time and, uh, totally got the sunshine. So I know exactly what you're saying. I totally fell in love with that city, man. Yeah. Well, like I said, it's been four years since you were last on the show. And so I hate to say, let's talk about the newest member, but, <laughs> but uh, of course, Island Styles. he's worked with Jimmy's Chicken Jack and Terry McDermott from The Voice. So how long have you known him and um, what was the process of getting him into the band? Well, Island's um, a brilliant player, yeah. uh, first and foremost, and an incredibly talented uh, musician. And he's a, a he's got the driest sense of humor. I think of anybody I know. Um, I constantly find myself just looking at him at, at points going, are you taking a piss? Or are you being serious? Like what, what's <laughs> happening right here? Um, but he, um, he came about, we had done some shows and he had teched for us um, because Pete had played with him in Lotus crush. And then, um, and, uh, and then he was playing with Terry. We needed guitar tech. So he came out and worked with us for a bit. Um, and then, um, Sean left and went to play with, uh, Royal bliss. And I had this kid, Mike Leslie playing with me, um, who's on the disappearing airports record. I wrote several of the songs on, on that record with Mike and, um, Mike was having some of those, you know, drugs and alcohol issues that I just didn't want to deal with again. Um, and I gave him two chances. And on the third one, I was like, listen, I, I can't have, I can't have this in my band again. I, I respect you and I love you, but I'm not going to watch you do this to yourself. And I'm certainly like not going to let you do it to the band. So I asked him to leave and Island was the first phone call I made um, just because I'd, I'd had him, you know, be, I'd had him around. I'd had him play at soundcheck a couple of times. He'd come up and jam with us and we'd do cover songs. And I just knew that he was the type of musician that could pick this up and run with it right away. And, and he has, he's been with me now for uh, going on four years. Yeah. Have you struggled at all? You know, everyone kind of talks about having trouble keeping that routine while we're in lockdown. And I guess, you know, for bands, I always think about, it's like, well, you know, when they're on the road, their life is a routine pretty much every day because you have a call sheet and you know exactly what you're doing pretty much every minute of the day. Now that you're home and it's a little bit more relaxed and chilled, have you found that uh, it's been a little bit difficult to try to keep a routine or has it affected you? Yeah, very much so. Um, I have a studio that I go to maybe once a month where I should be going every day. Um, it's strange, you know, when you, when you tour for 20 years and then all of a sudden you can't and, you know, you're, you're used to that routine of getting up, getting coffee, going in, doing sound check, setting up, um, doing the meet and greets, whatever it is. And that's a, you know, it's, I guess it's the, you know, DDSS comment, um, where, you know, it really is a different day, but it is the same thing. It's, it, it's kind of groundhog day. All of a sudden you're given this freedom, um, and you still don't know what to do with, with yourself. Right. You know, um, I've got, you know, guitars hanging all over the place and, and I pick them up once a week, uh, where I should be, you know, I should be practicing and becoming a better musician, but I'm, I'm also 51 years old and I'm a little bit stubborn in the sense that I've, I've you know, learned what I'm, what I've learned and I, I don't need to learn anything else. Um, so, and, you know, that's, and that's, again, a stupid thing for me to do, but um, it's just kind of who I am. And, and I, I'm settling in being a father and I'm settling in being a husband and I've got it really probably another year uh, before any Candlebox dates anyway. So I might as well get used to it. Um, but I, I definitely, my wife has been on me about getting into the studio and doing, you know, more work and um, and doing some more recordings, because just because she likes to, you know, that I I do it. 
Yeah. Well, I don't know. I just am a type of person where I always have to be doing something. I mean, I've started, you know, I mean, I put a planter bed in my side yard over here and I've got vegetables <laughs> growing. And last uh, weekend I went down to the lake and went fishing. My wife's like, what is up with Mr. Gardner, Mr. Fisherman here? I'm like, I got to do something. I'm going crazy here, you know, and I can still social distance and do that type of things. But yeah. I've just tried to find hobbies and whatever I can, man, to keep some normalcy with what we're dealing with. Well, I did start the sour bread, you know, routine where I'm I'm doing two loaves of bread every three days. So, nice. uh, you know, I, I have, I have done that, um, you know, to the chagrin of of um, a lot of my friends and and my waistline, but you know, um, <laughs> it's uh, it's one of those things. You know, you got to keep yourself busy doing something. That's exactly right. Well, hey, Kevin, before we close it out, man, we always like to give our guests the chance to pick uh, one of their songs, and it can be from any album that you have uh, to the you know from four years ago all the way to the beginning. But uh, maybe give me a track that's one of your favorites, and uh, tell me why you chose it. Oh, the bridge off of Disappearing Airports. Um, I just, it's got, uh, it's got this crazy energy and the story behind it. You know, um, like I mentioned, Mike Leslie was playing with me. Uh, he struggles with um, depression and anxiety. And, um, and he and I were, one day we're talking about the movie, the bridge, which is a documentary about the golden gate bridge and people who commit suicide on it. And Mike was like, you know, I've, I've several times found myself in that headspace where I could actually do that. And I was like, wow. we should write a song about that. And, um, and so he, he came up with the first verse and the melody and um, I came up with the second verse and the chorus and the bridge. And it's just a song that when you turn it on, um, you want to hit the gas pedal and go, you know, and I just love that song so much. I think it's, I think it's a really special song and, and, uh, and, and I'm very proud of it. Well, we'll definitely play it, man. As always, it's been a pleasure. I, I, I hate waiting between four years every time I get to see you because you're such a That's great guy. <laughs> you're a good dude, man. I love you. And I love seeing you guys on the road. I'm just hoping that uh, the world can kind of, I don't know if we'll ever get back to what we were before, but I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing some live rock and roll with Candlebox. Uh, thanks, brother. Me too. Have a great day, Kevin. Appreciate you being on the show, man. You got it, dude. We'll see you.